Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 102 of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. Double Density, your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo, how are you uh, on this fine eve? I'm doing pretty good tonight. I, I had a good laugh just now at your preparations for w- before you start your intro. You do some sort of funny thing with your voice. Yeah, I, guess, I, I exercise the intro demons before doing it. I get into that mindset, right? So if you want to put that at the end of the episode, you have my blessing. I may or may not. All we'll right. see how uh, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot to get through this episode, though. I'm kind of amazed. Every week we say, oh, we only have so little, and then suddenly it all builds right up. Well, we have a lot of uh, bits and bobs in the tech part, but... Uh, the bits and bobs, is... that sounds like a very like elderly way of saying things. Yeah. Like, a, do you own doodads? And thingamajigs, I do. <laughs> there we go. We have a lot in the tech department, and the paranormal, we're just going to be talking about one case, but yes, and we'll, be we'll see when we get there. Um, but the first thing, we kind of wanted to say goodbye to our friend AirPower. Yeah, so the AirPower uh, charging mat by Apple, of course, uh, no longer uh, being offered. They don't normally pre-announce things, uh, but when they do, they they fail spectacularly at it. I love how they were so sure to have it, because there are other charging mats in the market that I've seen um, that work kind of okay, but uh, nothing compared to what they were planning on offering the public in, in an ideal situation. Well, the idea behind the air power mat was that you can just put it anywhere on the mat. It would charge. I have a wireless charger next to my bed and I have to put my phone more or less right in the middle, but it works really well. It's, it's, it, there are good ones and there are bad ones. The bad thing with the bad ones is they can catch fire. And I think the issue air power has from what people have said is that there were so many coils in there that right. it just wasn't going to work. And now it joins the ranks of the Wii Vitality sensor. <laughs> do you remember that? Uh, uh, vaguely, it sounds like you have more to say about that than well, I do. I have so very I'm little gonna, gonna, to say. Oh, okay. Just that I, I remember seeing it at an E3 once, and uh, they were very excited about the sense that they would put on your finger that sort of looked like a heart rate monitor you would have at a hospital, and it never came out because it was dumb. And it only took them four years to cancel from uh, E3 2009 to about 2000, uh, mid-2013. Uh, bringing it back to what you were talking about before, though. Yeah, so I am no engineer, right? I am a man with a liberal arts degree who kind of understands like high-level concepts, some like mid-funnel stuff. So what I understand is that the coil technology, um, when there are lesser coils, like a lot of the current charging stations, it's, it's fine. But when you try to uh, align as many coils as they wanted to do, then it can become a huge disaster. If any engineers out there want to sort of brief me on this or correct me if I'm wrong, double underscore density on Twitter. I remember a lot of discussions happening about how the watch was going to charge because some watch bands prevent you from laying it flat. It would have been kind of annoying if you had to like take off your watch band every time you wanted to charge your watch on this thing. Anyway, it's gone. They're not going to, I don't think Apple's ever going to pre-announce anything ever again at this point, unless they're 100% sure about it. It's better to under-promise and over-deliver than uh, uh, announce and not deliver. Yeah, over-promising is never a good idea. <laughs> Apple tends to do that with their shipping dates. I remember my Mac was like two weeks out and then I got it like the day after. And you must have been so excited that they actually met the time frame in which they described yeah, I was very excited to get this back. And here we are, two, three and a half years later. It's uh, it's flown by, Brian. I wouldn't be able to do this podcast without it. Uh, I'm glad to know that you uh, you threatened to mail me a tape this week. Uh, I think we should talk about that very quickly. I don't remember what the what that was about anyway. What was it about? Wasn't it like a, a day, a week to like stay away from your computer or whatever? I don't know where you copied and pasted that from. 
the school where my kids go there, they had a, like this PDF that went out and like next week is the challenge to go without like technology and stuff, unless you absolutely need it. And, uh, is I guess, podcasting an essential service. I guess it's not. So, uh, I'll be sending you my end of the conversation via tape. We'll be recording over a landline. Perfect. So episode 103 of Double Density will be me flying solo. Uh, please submit all of your ideas. Once again, Twitter, double underscore density. Now, Angelo, I need to talk to you about something a little more serious than uh, trying to bluff your way out of uh, podcasting. And that is, my friend, how often do you uh, get drunk? <laughs> Not often at all. Uh, same. We are sad older people who abstain from alcohol. But it turns out we are in the minority, my friend. Did you know that? When you sent me this article... I had to double check the date and make sure it didn't come out on April Fool's because it was so dumb. So we have this link here from the hustle.co, uh, which uh, details actually a, uh, so they conducted a drunk shopping survey and it turns out that uh, drunk shopping is a huge industry, my friend. Well, and that's why I thought it was an April Fool's joke because it, it reads like a joke. Like even just looking at the images and stuff, like the graphs, they really made me think they were fake. Uh, alas, they are not. So the study concluded that 79% of its readers that consume alcohol have made at least one drunken purchase with Amazon being the website of choice, saying a whopping 85% of people who drunk, uh, drink and purchase, uh, did so, uh, through Amazon, which I guess is very easy because Amazon has that convenient one click button for everything. The, what, what did confuse me were the professions that shop, shopped drunk the most. Uh, like the number are you one drunk was, right now, by the way, no. Okay. The, the number one was sports, which are yeah. there professional athletes getting hammered? And like, what, what constitutes a sports profession? Well, anyone, for example, like uh, newscasters. Okay. People who work in the front offices. I have a friend who works for the New Jersey Devils, for example, uh, doing PR and uh, social media. And they drink? Uh, yes, let's, I, I assume so. Okay, are they like madmen that have like whiskey on their desk every day? No, 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 no. That that drinking is done outside of work, my friend. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I once had a friend who actually had a really bad problem where he would um, get like super hammered and then hop on eBay and buy um, uh, lots of comic books that he uh, missed out on in his youth. So he uh, one summer like bought like something like three hundred issues of uh, Punisher um, and other Marvel characters. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the first anecdote was kind of funny where the guy ended up with two very expensive Justin Timberlake tickets. It happens. I don't know. Yeah, I, like once again, like this is an informal survey, like unfortunately, um, and we'll link to one of these uh, news outlets uh, in the show notes, but they're definitely picking this up as a much more, they're legitimizing this survey that I feel like is very, very informal in nature, right? Well, of course, it's it. that's why it comes off as very jokey. Uh, well, also, like, the fact that, like, uh, drunk shopping is a $45 billion industry. And how do they get to those numbers? That's the thing that I find odd. Yeah, it's kind of like this weird uh, informal survey about, uh, you know, drunk purchasing. Um, I've never done it. So I don't know if you have. I said no. I, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm wearing you down. Like, I want to find the crack in your armor and just explode it. No, I, I have never... Uh drunk dialed or drunk ordered things or anything i you've you've never like sent a uh tipsy myspace message to a lady of your choosing i have not no i'm I, like I've, I've mentioned before i'm really boring and the most exciting thing i do is have a podcast with you brian you tend to overthink every single purchase including the purchase of like uh cabling uh the purchase of a uh, microphone stand valued at 15 dollars, which we discussed on multiple days until you did it yeah, we, we just before we started recording, I was discussing how uh, I'm overthinking getting the maintenance done on my car because it seems to be so expensive just for a standard maintenance. And you want to do it yourself. 
no, I'm not going to do the maintenance on my car myself. That would be that would be disastrous. What's this? Kids with a cellular phone? Introducing Amigo from Cantel. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Double density. Onwards and upwards, but not really onwards and upwards. This week, we have a TechCrunch article about how Mark Zuckerberg is actually calling for regulation of content, elections, and privacy. So he posted this both on his own personal Facebook page. We're going to talk about that in a little bit in a separate story, as well as uh, in an op-ed in the Washington Post. So this guy basically is uh, advocating for state-sponsored censorship of his own website and others. He's the cause of all these problems. And now he wants to regulate himself and his his site that's been pretty much at the bottom of everything. Let me unpack this for you because I think I understand what's happening here. So this is actually a brilliant move for a man um, who's been backed into a corner, right? With the, uh, you know, all of the data breach stuff, as well as the, you know, sharing your uh, personal information with um, outside advertisers, uh, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of option paralysis going on in terms of, of Facebook as an entity right now. I do believe, like I'm just surmising at this point, right? So what better way to uh, throw that shadow off of you than by saying, hey, government, fix my own problem, right? Because then he can't say that um, people can't get matter at their policies, right? Because these are government mandated policies. Okay, so he's kind of trying to fix the garbage fire that is Facebook by having somebody else fix it. And then when people get upset that they fixed it, he'll blame it on them. Yeah. He'll tap, he'll tap a sign written government on it and be like, guys, it's not me. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Facebook is ruined because uh, the government is bad. <laughs> I honestly do legitimately do believe this though. And and I think that is a, a smart move for someone who has been dogged for so long about all of these issues. Like this is a multi-year issue at this point, right? Yeah, and, and what are you going to do? Go back and, and delete old posts? Like, you can't do that and uh, show that you've retroactively changed your mind. It's not possible to do that, right, Brian? Well, <laughs> well let's jump into that uh, thought in a sec, though, because I kind of want to close off this loop here. Um, so I feel like, yeah, he's running an endgame on uh, basically uh, forcing government entities to do his own work. I do believe because, yeah, he is scared of... Um, other, uh, you know, companies or his user base getting mad at him for every little choice they make because it happens all the time. Yeah, well, look, it's led to us completely removing ourselves from his service. We, we're yeah. not even saying it. We're not even using the service that shall not be named. Well, I am technically right because my profile is still active because I use Messenger because some people refuse um, to regularly text with me. Have you been lying to me all this time? I thought you were off No, we, we've talked about this. Oh, I'm yeah. off Facebook, but Messenger exists. Like, I don't have, like, my profile's not there, but they still have it, right? Okay, so you can use both, you can use Messenger separately from Facebook? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe they didn't want to know that. Yeah, but now you do. Surprise, Angelo. Uh, a Facebook surprise for you, which sounds like a nightmare. Yes, it does. <laughs> but yeah, all this to say, like, this is uh, a very interesting way in which uh, they're forcing other people to do their own dirty work, even though they got rich off of the things that they have already uh, done, right? Yeah, he's made his money at this point. He can basically retire into his own little robot world and do whatever he wants. He's um, he's an interesting character. He also has the power to do whatever he wants, uh, including, of course, uh, deleting old uh, Facebook posts. Yeah, it's it's he's basically turning into like a supervillain. Yeah, he um he kind of reminds me of like a Lex Luthor, right? Like uh uh yeah, like the '90s TV Lex Luthor. Well, he played Lex Luthor, <laughs> right? This is well, the guy Jesse, who played yeah, him Jesse, played, for sure. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, exactly. So, uh, I, that's I I find find that kind of funny, but 
the best part is that it's it's a mistake that they deleted them. It's just like when MySpace deleted those 50 million songs. Yeah, my, my life was ruined because of that. Well, I my old hardcore band was on there, and I don't know where those MP3s went, right? So I'm not sure what to do about that. Why did you not download them when you had the chance? Uh, because this was like four hard drives ago. Oh, you should put them on Spotify. <laughs> uh, yeah, 2005 me should have really thought about 2019 me. Sorry. Yeah, you really should have thought of Spotify. You should have foreseen the advent of <laughs> subscription music services and how. Also, something we haven't really discussed. There's about a year and a half's worth of uh, Gmail uh, mail missing from uh, my uh, inbox, and I don't know where it went. Really? Yeah. Is that one of the ones where they got lost? Is it? Uh, I remember hearing about Gmail losing a uh, losing a whole bunch of mail. Yes. So that was me from uh, mid 2010 to beginning 2012. There's almost nothing. Oh man, that sucks. Or sorry, like beginning of 2010 to mid. Yeah, it's 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 a bummer. It's unfortunate. I'm very angry about that. Now to hear that my music has been taken down, and then uh, you know, uh, a couple of months ago, we found out that Zuck and company could go in and delete private messages at whim. Right? They can do whatever they want. Right? Like, don't forget that Facebook just knows everything about you. They even keep your password on like uh, plain text on people's desktops. My password is one, two, three. Not a password. That's really clever. The first P in not a password, because there's only one P, is capitalized. And the O's are zeros. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, because I'm such a lead speak enthusiast, and the A is actually a four, too. But yeah, like you were saying, like th- these, this is a private entity here, folks. They can do what they want. This isn't a public utility. I almost don't want to talk about Facebook ever again on this show, because they're so, they're just like borderline evil. We should just push them to the like paranormal section, because they've become pretty much a poster child for conspiracy. Are we making a pact on here? No, we're not. We're probably going to talk about Facebook. Oh, it's right. important. Because I was, I was excited to like lay out a treaty, you know, the speaking of Facebook treaty, and uh, sort of uh, figure uh, things out. But speaking about private communications, um, uh, obtrusiveness, uh, things of that nature, um, you and I kind of, I want to talk about uh, Amazon penis. <laughs> yeah, Jeff Bezos and his private text messages that were stolen and given to... The National Enquirer, which is... Or rather, the, the parent company, right? AMI? Yeah, they're all garbage. But they were obtained in uh, not the best way. And now he finds out, like, the Saudis have them? Yeah. Um, so, actually, I first heard this theory. So, we're going to link to a Daily Beast article. But I first heard this theory a couple weeks ago on an episode of Chapo Trap House. Um, and, yes, I listened to that. Um, all about how, uh, basically, you know, uh, last fall... When the Saudis murdered a Washington Post reporter, um, basically it became a Bezos versus Saudi Arabia kind of war. And does he have any business there at all? So he has he has a business there that's kind of like Amazon. How is this affecting that? Has that been was that discussed in this article? Well, it wasn't discussed that much, but it's more so the idea of uh, uh, local uh, actors, because they are actors, being paid to sandbag Jeff Bezos, Amazon, the Washington Post, the Western world, uh, as well as his Amazon-like uh, website. There are a few companies in the world that have all the power, right? And they're mostly tech companies. It used to be the oil companies. Now it's tech. And uh, what, what are the companies, right? There's Apple, which yeah. are, are obviously the good guys. There's Facebook, which are like totally evil. Amazon's somewhere in between, but kind of evil, which because of the way they treat their employees. Do you remember that that um, uh, article I linked to you a couple of months ago about how that woman tried to live free from Amazon for a week? Yeah, and that that was impossible because Amazon basically owns the internet with everybody using their web services. Yeah, 
Uh, I definitely agree with that. Coming back to the story at hand, though, um, kind of a couple of takeaways. The first one is if you haven't read Jeff Bezos' Medium article, um, please go ahead and do so. We'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, secondly, yeah, after James Khashoggi was murdered last fall, the Washington Post was really uh, pissed off about, you know, dealing with one of their employees dying, right? So uh, they went pretty hard. And then, of course, MBS, um, uh, who is friends, of course, with Jared Kushner, uh, you know, uh, Ivanka's husband, uh, you know, uh, I'm not saying that there was coercion or collusion there. All I'm saying is that the Saudis definitely have um, active social media participants um, that talk smack about uh, Amazon. And then um, the Saudi website I was thinking of was souksouq.com, which is a subsidiary of Amazon. And uh, we learned recently that uh, Jeff Bezos commands an army of drones uh, from his blimp. <laughs> uh, he certainly does, my friend. Yeah, this this uh, video was making the rounds recently on Twitter. And uh, I found that it was fake and it made me sad because it looked so cool and horrible all at the same time. It, it really did look like something out of a movie, but it's a really good fake video. Yeah, I definitely do agree that like when I was watching it, uh, uh, the moment that the blimp lands and the drones come out, it's over. And did you at any time think it was fake? Uh, it's hard to tell, <sighs> right? So this is what it, okay, so I'm kind of operating on an MO these days where I need two sources to verify it's, it's real. And everybody was like posting it on, on, on Twitter. Like it was, it wasn't the clearest image as well, which helped, but it looks really real. It honestly really does. And I, I suggest that people go watch this. What is it, like 40 seconds? I think. Yeah, it's nothing. It's not, it's not long at all, but it's, it's all fake. And, uh, it, it, you know, it kind of bleeds into the paranormal where they can easily make a really good UFO video better than the one of, uh, what, it's almost a decade ago. Remember those UFOs over Haiti? We've brought it up before. Oh, right. Didn't Linda Moulton Hall get taken to those? Yeah, of course she did. Cause she's not the, um, uh, let's say the best investigator. We can easily be fooled now and it's, it's kind of scary. So I'm curious to know how far we can go with these videos and now, no one really can prove anything anymore uh, when you see something like this. And I think this is a good time to kind of move into the paranormal segment where we will be looking at something that uh, definitely did happen because it was in the mid-90s. and <laughs> Everything from the 90s was true. There were no really good fake videos. Uh, no, of course not. There were no black and white videos of any sort of uh, UFO-related matters. Welcome back to Double Dancing. As always, we are switching gears from a tech to the paranormal. So this week we're covering uh, one of the more interesting cases that I don't think sees a lot of play online these days, but has um, a lot of anecdotal evidence and a lot of eyewitness reports um, describing uh, the event uh, in question. So we're going to talk about the March 1994 UFO settings over Lake Michigan, my friend. Until you brought this up with me, it's it's one of those cases I didn't really know much about. There's some amazing, um, uh, well, I wouldn't say evidence, but amazing uh, discussion around it that was happening at that time and recordings of it too. Uh, and I'm referring to the 911 calls, which we'll be uh, discussing soon. But uh, do you want to kind of like take us through the case a little bit? 
Sure. So um, about uh, so I, I do believe that the first time was March 7th, 1994, a UFO flap all along Lake Michigan um, uh, took the area by storm pretty much. Right. So um, local residents, including like people like police officers, firefighters and other people who uh, would have no reason to lie about what they saw, um, started seeing lights in the sky. And a lot of these UFOs were described as like V-shaped. Right. So four dots um, kind of like in a V formation about. Three to four days later, this flap sort of ended. But over that time, hundreds of people, it's estimated about 300 people, um, had witnessed this phenomenon of a uh, low-flying uh, saucer-like thing that also uh, elevated and descended um, in terms of uh, speed and distance and uh, things like that. And uh, a lot of people got the chance to see these things, right? So I feel it's kind of analogous to the Hudson River Valley settings of the 80s a little bit in terms of like their frequency and the ways in which they were described. Um, and also in those instances... Um, uh, V-shaped UFOs had been described too, as well as um, in this, uh, you know, Lake Michigan flap that lasted about four days. Yeah, and it kind of made me think of, although over a much shorter period of time, the Phoenix Lights, um, what happened before the flares, when people said they saw a formation of um, of lights flying in like a triangular formation. It kind of reminds me of that, although that was what condensed into a few hours, the the Phoenix Lights. This was, you said, over the course of a few days. Yeah, exactly. So every evening for a couple of days, this was occurring. Um, and it never happened so, during the day, correct? Correct. It was only night. Okay. So my big thing about this, right? And uh, firstly, I do have to shout out my own mother who linked me to a USA Today article about how um, this uh, event was 25 years old. So mom, if you're listening, thank you very much for sending me this article. Um, she knows my interests quite well and feeds them on a regular basis. That was really nice of her. Although I, I'm pretty sure you said she does not listen to the show, correct? I'm not even sure anymore because she said she doesn't, but who knows? She might uh, if I tell her to. She's like a secret listener. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, um, so uh, all along the Lake Michigan shoreline, which stretches about uh, you know 200 miles in terms of, of sightings from uh, uh, from one point to another, and uh, you know a lot of these people, a lot of these locals uh, did um, say that they did see something in the sky that you know cannot be easily explained by your uh, favorite uh, pet theories, including you know uh, weather balloons. Well, we'll we'll talk about my theories when we get to that, but uh, it it did make me think of swamp gas, and then I realized the swamp gas meme was basically born in Michigan in 1966 when uh, Heineck tried to explain another Michigan UFO case by saying it was swamp gas. Right. So the state is no, you know, the state of Michigan is no stranger to UFO activity, as you were saying. The 1966 Dexter, Michigan sighting is the pretext by which we come by. J. Allen Hynek's infamous UFOs are actually swamp gas comment. In looking at this, did you think at any point that these two cases could be related in any way? No, uh, apart from geographically, I don't think so. Okay, too bad. Something that is very vitally interesting that we don't tend to see a lot is the local move on chapter uh, actually did something right for once and uh, collected the 911 calls um, to the dispatcher uh, of the first night on the 7th. Um, and that includes a call from the dispatcher to the National Weather Service. Now, this was the most interesting aspect of this case. Yes, of course, people saw UFOs and stuff, but the fact that it was documented this well with all these 911 calls, and there were a lot of calls coming in. So obviously something was happening. Uh, so many calls that the uh, several of the 911 operators sounded exasperated about this, basically saying, hey, I know you saw a UFO, we sent somebody over. Uh, it, it was pretty funny. Uh, one of the quotes I kind of uh, held on to was uh, somebody talking to the 911 operator saying, they're out there, they ain't planes. And then he said, oh, we, we had some other calls. 
And this person replied, they seen him too. And then he laughed. 911, you guys busy? Who's that? I call that shot a really emergency. We just called about the UFOs. Uh, mm-hmm. They're out there. Same yeah. airplanes. Yeah, we've got a car on the way over there, let's see, right now. Yeah. We've got a couple other calls. Really? They see them too? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of interesting to glimpse into, because I don't tend to listen to 911 calls on a regular basis. I'm not kind of like a weirdo masochist or anything. You never um, watched Rescue 911 with William Shatner? Well, I did watch that very briefly, and I've I've been on a Unsolved Mysteries kind of binge, um, too. But uh, I just mean like authentic, realistic nine one one calls, like on a regular basis. So it's kind of fun to see this collection of these like super well composed people. Like this one woman calls and she says, "Listen, I know it's not an emergency, so yes. if you need to mump me off, do it." Uh, which I thought was really interesting and not something I would have considered saying at the beginning of a nine one one call. Yeah, this is a non-emergency, so feel free to cut me off if something comes in. And I feel kind of silly calling, but my son insisted that I call. Is, is there any Air Force airplanes or helicopters flying around in Allegan or Ottawa County tonight? Hello, we had reports out of Stratford Way in that area of life, and they're checking it out. Yeah, then she also went on to say, my son is the one who wanted me to call about this. And then he right. came on the line. Yeah. Uh, have you ever called 911? I did uh, a few years ago. I saw someone get hit by a car. Ooh, okay. I I, I, I kind of laugh it off now because she was totally fine. It was a slow turning vehicle, and the person kind of just walked in front of it, and uh, nobody really got hurt. But I did call nine one one, and then I said, uh, "Do you need me to stay here? Because I got to go to work." And I they said, <laughs> "No," and I went to work. In my mind, I uh, picture you as being like a true sociopath. So when the woman got hit, you heard like one of those like cartooners, like boings or, or like whatever. No, I actually ran across the street and uh, made sure she was okay. Then called 911. And uh, then I came to work, uh, which at the time I was working with you. Right. So I've called 911 twice. Uh, once when I worked at a pharmacy, um, some bleach had gotten into an electrical socket. It dripped in from a shelf and started an electrical fire. Oh, I heard some bleach head had gotten into uh, a no, uh, like no, no. socket. Some so, bleach had. Uh, I thought it was somebody uh, doing a Billy Idol impressionation. No, in the midnight hour, she cried more, more, more. Uh, the second time was actually in this apartment. There was a fire upstairs and the uh, person living in there wasn't responding because it actually she had left. Um, and uh, my fiance had commented how calm I was uh, during the call. Um, so I guess I feel a kinship uh, to these uh, uh, Michigan uh, 911 callers. But it's super interesting, right? So uh, the sort of like best part is the the National Weather Service call, which starts at about six minutes into this like 23 minute YouTube video. And you can see over time that the person from the National Weather Service checking their radar slowly gets converted into the idea that something weird is going on. I'm getting it now at, um, at about 12,000 feet. It's a, it's a pretty strong return. Huh. But, yeah, I've never seen... Now I'm getting multiple returns. One of the people that called that I had to, happened to talk to said it looked like a bunch of cylindrical objects. Well, well oh were, my God, what is that? They were going together and coming apart. He yeah, said, well, it's, it's, there's three, and they're, they're lengthwise. Now I'm getting three of them. And uh, I found that the 911 operator was uh, quite skeptical when he started the call as well. He called into him just to kind of confirm that there was something going on, maybe if he can see if there were airplanes or something, because uh, he was skeptical of the calls he was getting as he was asking them if the object was motionless in the sky or if 
they were actually moving. And in cases, in many cases, the people were actually moving as well. So it, it ended up with him kind of wondering if they were maybe seeing stars or something else that wasn't exactly uh, anomalous. Right. And like you said, this call just escalated in that he went from, um, well, no, I don't really see much to, oh my God, which is something yeah, he actually oh my said. God, at one point, yeah. Um, because he uh, finds the elevation and then he's following these objects, right? So at one point they're at five, I think it's like 5,000, like what is it, like five? Five or 6,000 feet, I think he mentioned. Yeah, exactly. So five or 6,000 feet. So he, they were saying between five and 10,000 um, is where these objects were going. They were blinking in and out. There was a formation of like three to four. And he was also explaining that like uh, uh, planes are um, a mu- a much smaller on a radar than what these objects were. I Like I said, it's, it's arguably the be- most interesting part of this whole case is that call because... Yes, you can, you know, people see things in the sky all the time, but then you're having uh, somebody who's an, an expert in looking at weather on the radar. And uh, at one point, did he say it couldn't be weather? Yeah, he said it couldn't be weather because of the way that the the, the patterns were. And also, like, by this point, he, he was following it for a bit, right? So this was um, sort of a continuous flow. Um, you know, we're going to link to a uh, blog spot. Um, a web page uh, in the show notes. It's a three-part um, exploration of this by someone who helped do some of the research and visited actually the uh, the radar facility. And uh, they were talking about how planes on the radar appeared to be like very tiny, but these blobs uh, appeared to be like the size of like your thumbprint pretty much or half a thumbprint, which was much larger than a regular plane. The blogs we're going to link to are written by somebody who goes by The Professor, but I think it's actual, his actual name is Michael D. Swords, which is even cooler than The Professor. I agree with that. It is a much better name to uh, uh, operate under, I guess. But I guess you don't want to draw too much attention to yourself if that is the case indeed. And, and you know, UFOs are your side gig. Yeah, and he is, uh, according to what he mentions on his blog, he's actually a professor. So besides the point, though, the, the analysis of that is really great. I, I really enjoyed reading the... It, it's not long at all. There's It's three parts, but they're not long. And uh, it's an yeah, interesting exactly. read because he's kind of approaching it from uh, his personal side of things because he did investigate the case. And uh, he doesn't seem yeah. to be like a, a true dyed-in-the-world believer. So it's, it's kind of interesting to get it from his take. Right. And I do think that like this is the one more um, compelling cases because the sheer amount of people calling over uh, like a four-night period, right? So they're saying uh, upwards of 300 total the first night. Uh, the 911 dispatcher, I think, was quoted as saying like 60 or 70 um, by the time he had called the National Weather Service. Yeah, there were a lot of calls coming in. And so now, um, can I kind of give you uh, my thoughts on a few things? Sure, let's do this. So I'm starting, because it happened over the course of a few nights, I, I'm wondering if people started getting caught up in like some sort of mass hysteria of maybe seeing things that, although they were there, making them more than they were. Uh, you can even hear kind of like the National Weather Service operator getting more and more excited about this. And I wonder if he got caught up in it as well and made either made a mistake or just misunderstood what he was seeing. So they actually like have this on file pretty much. Um, and, and the blog uh, posts do talk about this when, uh, the professor visits the, the radar, um, uh, facility. Um, he gets to take his own sort of, um, uh, sheets home, 
and then the National Weather Service files their own too. But it seemed as though this were like illegitimate sighting. Um, uh, I do know that the National Weather Service afterwards had said like there's no correlation between what we've seen in UFOs. But it's a bit harder to believe like when in the moment you get to hear this person who's actually tracking this. And I feel like while there is excitement, I also feel there's like um, a, uh, a willingness to entertain the idea but not buy into it wholly um, over and over. It's just it's a surprising kind of feat, right? I worry that when something exciting happens, people kind of lose their grasp with things. Um, the uh, the professor mentions in his article that uh, there were all kinds of uh, crazy reports around this as well, including people talking about others being abducted, which didn't happen at all. No, exactly. But I do think as a baseline, the most consistent narrative is that there was something that first night too, though. Yeah, there there was something that people saw. Like, again, I, I never say that people are lying about anything here. They're not making this up. They saw something. Now, um, as always, it, it probably wasn't aliens. Uh, but I'm, I'm thinking, what if it's something just as interesting as maybe aliens and maybe more likely like some unknown weather atmospheric phenomenon? Um, it could have been that. That's something that they, they had never seen before and maybe hasn't happened since, which is, uh, although unlikely, not any more unlikely than aliens visiting us. Yeah, I... I hear the tension in your voice and how upset I'm making you, Brian. <laughs> I'm actually not... Like, 2019, Brian, all in, definitely believes that these are, you know, extra terrestrial or extra-dimensional beings um, saying hello to us over a, uh, a multi-night period. I mean, it could also be something like military testing. Um, so that's that's kind of where I'm landing on this one, actually. Um, with the V formation, I do feel like, you know, for example, like uh, uh, the SR-71 Blackbird, right? I'm not saying it's the same thing as that at all, but um, similar shape, right? If you were to light things up on the bottom. Maybe, or it could be a smaller craft flying in formation and keeping a very tight formation. So the only problem with that, though, is that the uh, the radar person for the National Weather Service indicated these blips were much larger than a standard plane by oh. a large margin, right? Uh, which I feel kind of knocks down um, the theory I had formulating in my mind when I was thinking about what this could be. What was that? I, originally, I was like, oh, maybe it's a military plane. But then I, I when I you know started doing research and realized that I had to discount my thesis of military planes when I realized the the size of each object appearing on the radar screen uh, the first night in question. Could it have been an early prototype of uh, drone blimps? <laughs> Once again, drone blimps are probably pretty tiny in comparison, right? To a whole plane? Oh, maybe. No, but like a big giant blimp. Right. So you love your weather balloons. You love your Project Mogul. It's a, you know, it's 50 years of Project Mogul with you. Yeah, exactly. Now, look, it could also be something even crazier. Like, what if it's like uh, an alternate reality, like hap- happening in Stranger Things or our favorite, Vortexes? Or oh, you want to talk about vortices? All right, yeah. vortices. Yeah. Sedona uh, harkens back to us. Yeah, so I want to believe in the credibility of the story and the sheer amount of people who call that first time because I agree. Perhaps there's some mis- like mass hysteria stuff going on. Um, subsequent evenings, once this makes it into the local papers and people are suddenly like stepping outside and taking a look, but at the same time, like that first night, there were so many people calling that there had to have been something there that kind of suggests. Um, an event happening that we can't easily describe, you know, and you know, you might say swamp gas in a second. I'm ready to accept that. Could have been swamp gas. I mean, look, if that was good enough for JL and Heineck, it's good enough for me. Right. <laughs> Something else I've seen online is that people saying it's the Northern lights, right? But the Northern lights don't really appear on radar screens at specific heights. No, they don't that it's definitely not the Northern lights. 
I do mean like, so they're in the right part of the country in the States in order to see them. If uh, there's several maps that you can actually take a look at um, in terms of like the best places in Canada. And there's some in Windsor. There's some kind of like in the lower Ontario region that kind of mirror where the U.S. is. Um, and that time of year, mid-March, you could be able to see them. But once again, they don't move on radar screens. Well, that's what I was going to say. They Maybe it prompted some people to look up and then what the radar operator saw was something completely different. There, There's so many variables at play. It's just... We'll never know. Nobody was able to really get any video or, or images of this, although I am happy we have those 911 recordings because it's it's pretty incredible. That's a really great little piece of history there for this UFO flap. I feel from a sociological standpoint, it is absolutely really interesting in terms of, 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 of seeing process, right? Of how these calls come in and then, you know, how um, the 911 operator uh, calls the National Weather Service. And then, and then at the end, the National Weather Service guy calls the, the police station to ensure that it's actually like a, a, a dispatcher calling. This is um, one of the most interesting cases uh, I've come across while doing this podcast. It's It's like... It's one of these uh, unassuming cases where there's no glitz or glam or anything like that. It's 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 very straightforward, but there's so many uh, like people stories around it, right? Like there's all different yeah. people calling in and they have their own little view of things and you really get this sense when listening to the 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 tape. The link to the entire thing will be uh in the show notes for you to uh, listen to at your leisure. I definitely do think there's a uniformity to the way that people describe these craft the night of and then like in subsequent articles that leads me to believe that the, something did happen. It wasn't a mass hallucination. It wasn't mass hysteria, I think, um, especially that first night, right, um, where this was just sort of percolating. And I don't think they had a town hall meeting where they said, you know what, guys, tonight, UFOs. You don't think they all got together? at like the, <laughs> No, the... I don't believe that the Ottawa Valley people got together and said that. I'm happy we came across this case. Uh, I'd like to thank your mother. Maybe sure, I'll, I'll thank her in person in June when you get married. Right. Uh, you have received my invitation, yes? Oh, yes. It's in my bag. I forgot to take it out. Um, Perfect. Yeah. Discuss it with your loved ones. I'd love to see you in my nuptials. This is my uh, my first wedding of the internet age, I think. Like all my friends got married in like the mid to late uh, like 2000s. So now uh, I'm not used to like confirming over the internets. You know how to do that, right? You go to internet.com um, slash confirm slash Brian. Okay, perfect. Do you have your own... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There, uh, we, we do have our own URL though, uh, which you need to take a look at. Uh, but yeah, I, coming back to this case before I forget, like it is a really intriguing case for a number of reasons. I wish there was some kind of photographic or video evidence to it. The, the problem is, is that this is 1994. It's in the middle of the night that this is happening. You can't really get any good. You can't even get good video right now with the technology we have. So imagine uh, technology that's from 25 years ago. I do know that uh, this was covered by one of those history channels. I think it was UFO Hunters had done a, a whole spot on this. Yes, um, it's but it seems entirely yeah, it seems entirely too sensationalized in a really bad way, right? Well, he didn't really like the way they approached. He 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 said one of them seemed sort of serious, but it was such a, a disaster when he uh, he filmed with them and recorded with them that they kind of already had an idea of where they wanted to go with the story, and that's where they went. Right. Uh, coming back to the the very beginning of your thesis, uh, in terms of trying to tie this into the Dexter Hillsdale stuff, I, uh, you know, apart from the geographic stuff, I don't see um, as much of it uh, in terms of UFO content as well as like the, you know, the visitor aspect of it either. Right. So unfortunately, I don't think that uh, that is the case. But Michigan, I guess, is an interesting place for rather credible UFO sightings. Well, it's like in the middle of the continent. Yeah. And like there are uh, lakes nearby, right? and woods and uh, people and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> um, and in these more secluded areas, 
of course, that's where uh, the aliens go. I remember telling myself when I was little, the aliens wouldn't come and get me because I lived in a city. That's not how it works at all, though. And they only would go to farms. I had that thought, too, when I was like five or six. And then I quickly realized that that is not the case. No, not when they showed up in my house. Anyways, we'd love to hear your thoughts about the Holland, Michigan UFO flap of March 1994. You can go ahead and tweet us, double underscore density. You can hit us up on Instagram, double uh, density podcast, I do believe, right, Angelo? I think so. I don't run the socials. (laughs) Double density.net for all of your other double density needs. You can click on the contact button. uh, Let us know your thoughts. Send us an email, electronic mail, uh, that is. And with that, Angela, I do believe this is a great place to close up episode 102 of the Double Identity Podcast. And I will see you uh, soon, I guess. And you can all tune in next week as we do a thing about stuff. See you around, Angela. Oh, that sounds amazing. I can't stop laughing. Hold on. You're, ha, ha, ha. It sounded like you were karate chopping in. I have to exercise the intro demons. Until you brought this up with me, it's another one of those uh, UFO cases I didn't know much about. About, I sound really Canadian. One of those (laughs) (laughs) UFO. I thought you were just going to leave silence there. I didn't know what to do.